Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, another Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope you are doing and feeling well today as we slip deep into darkness and extract some knowledge and some truth. And if you don't mind, my friends, I would like to say hello and welcome to those haters. And listen, I know you only listen to our show to spew some hate, but that's all right because we know you and we feel you. And I have lived my entire life in battle mode. And one thing I have learned, you will never be criticized by people who are doing more than you. You will only be criticized by someone who is doing less than you. So with that being said and done, let's slip into darkness and talk about some of the biggest cultural thefts in black history. Netflix's new documentary, The Lion's Share, chronicles the history of the song The Lion Sleep Tonight, how it became a household hit, and most importantly, how media companies, including Disney, kept the song's original creator, South African musician Solomon Linda, from receiving any of the profits. The Lion Sleeps Tonight was the most heinous incident of cultural theft in history. The question piqued my interest, which led to this ranking of what I consider to be the worst cultural thefts of all time. This list I'm about to give you was not voted on by the American Consortium of Caucasians Be Stealing instead of categories like the blues, jazz, or Kardashianing, a verb that combines cultural appropriation and desperation for fame, I chose specific examples that meet the following criteria. Something was created by a black person or black people. A white person or white people took it without permission. The white person benefited or profited. The people who created the thing never shared in the recognition or financial benefit. While this is different from cultural appropriation, this list is indicative of how American culture has not only sucked the creative marrow out of the bones of black culture, it also shows how white America will manipulate laws, whitewash history, and twist white supremacy into an underhanded narrative that makes the world believe that black people are the ones who steal because white people are too busy being great. So buckle up, my friends, because here we go with number one. The TV show Friends is living single with mayonnaise. 
everyone knows that the hit NBC sitcom Friends is a unmelanated version of Living Single. None of the show's creators will openly admit it, even though Living Single was created a year earlier than NBC's Caucasian version. But we know. When Yvette Lee Bowser created Living Single for Warner Brothers in 1994, one of the suggested titles for the show was, you guessed it, Friends. A year later, Friends debuted on NBC, but I'm sure it was a coincidence, right? Both shows aired on Thursday nights, but Living Single ended after six seasons, while Friends went on to become one of the most successful shows in TV history. Maybe because the black sitcom never got the same promotions as the white version from the studio. Both shows were produced by Warner Brothers. Number two on my list is Charlie Case. And while I said we wouldn't do broad categories, this list could easily be composed of black entertainers whose vaudeville and nightclub acts were stolen by white performers. But perhaps none of these cases are as important as the story of Charlie Case, who I'm sure a lot of you have never heard of. Charlie Case was a famous vaudeville comedian. He sang, he wrote songs, in the 1920s, white comedians who saw him simply took his jokes and his songs and started performing them for white audiences. W.C. Fields' entire act was Charlie Case's. The 1933 film, The Fatal Glass of Beer, the entire film was based on a song written by Case. But none of that matters, right? Case was robbed of his intellectual property because, aside from his songs, he was one of the funniest people who ever lived. In fact, in the 1880s, Charlie Case commanded large audiences in nightclubs and theaters, doing something that no entertainer had ever done. According to numerous showbiz historians, Case didn't dance. He didn't wear costumes or blackface. He didn't even use props. He simply stood on stage and made people laugh. It is remarkable that he is not a household name because one generally accepted historical fact that almost no one disputes. Charlie Case was the first stand-up comedian. Number three, Elvis Presley ain't nothing but a hound dog. One of the weirdest things about the list of black musicians whose songs were stolen without payment is that white artists rarely chose obscure songs. If a black artist had a reasonable hit, white artists would just take the song, record it, and perform it as their own. This information is important to know because Elvis Presley technically didn't steal Hound Dog from blues legend Willie Mae, Big Mama Thornton, 
When Thornton recorded the song in August 1952, the song immediately became a number one hit. On September the 9th, Thornton even filed for a copyright application for the song. Then everyone started stealing it. But it was Elvis who stole it from Freddie Bell and the Bell Boys, who stole it from Lil Esther, who stole it from Thornton, who made the song one of the most recognizable songs in rock and roll history. But despite her copyright claim, the song, which is one of the most litigated songs in history, is credited to be the white men who paid for the recording session. All told, Big Mama Thornton earned $500 for recording Hound Dog. Number four, Chuck Berry's entire career. Chuck Berry may be the most stolen from artists in music history. Here is a partial list of songs stolen from the blues icon. The Beatles come together. The Beach Boys Surfing in USA, Elvis Presley's Jailhouse Rock, The Rolling Stones Full Catalog, and The Beatles' I Saw Her Standing There. But unlike many of his predecessors, Chuck Berry did not die in poverty. He secured the bag, leaving an estate worth an estimated $50 million dollars. But if Chuck Berry received his true payment, he would buy white people, all of them. Number five, Jack Daniels Whiskey. For a century and a half, Jack Daniels epitomized American liquors with his original story about the Tennessee whiskey distiller who cemented his legacy by creating an iconic brand with nothing but the sweat of his brow and hard work. Please, you know white people didn't do that. Jack Daniels learned how to make whiskey from Nearest Green, a slave who was the family master distiller and the first African-American master in the United States. So it was nice that Daniel's family came clean a scant 150 years after it took Green's recipe and erased him from history. But I bet everything will be repaired now that the Jack Daniel's heirs are worth $20 billion, making the clan one of the richest families in America. I'm sure they are in favor of reparations. Number six is how one Seamus saved America. In 1716, one Seamus, an enslaved African purchased by notable Puritan minister Cotton Mathers, told his master an incredible story. Mather already thought one Seamus was wicked and thievish because of the slave's intelligence. Maybe it was because the slave still practiced African traditions. Maybe it was the smallpox epidemic that was killing thousands. At any rate, Cotton Mathers 
didn't trust one Seamus, especially when the slave told master something that was impossible to believe. And that was he knew how to cure smallpox. One Seamus showed him a scar on his arm and said he had undergone surgery in Africa that made him immune to smallpox. He told Mather to cut himself and rub the pus from a smallpox sore into the cut, and that would make him immune. Mather finally believed one Seamus and started telling doctors everywhere, even sending letters abroad. But American medical professionals thought Mather was out of his mind. Few people in China and the Ottoman Empire had heard of this, but it wasn't reliable white people medicine. Then in 1721, smallpox killed 14% of Boston's population. Mather convinced a doctor friend to try one seamless method, inoculating his slave his family, and friends, that year, one out of every seven people in Boston died from smallpox. Of the 242 people inoculated by Mather's friend, only six died, or one in 40. The news spread around the world, and for the first time, American doctors had evidence-based tests to show that live vaccines can provide immunity. Eventually, the smallpox vaccine became mandatory in Massachusetts. In 1980, the World Health Organization declared that smallpox to be the first disease ever wiped out by modern medicine. Edward Jenner, who developed a smallpox vaccine 80 years after one Seamus, is called the father of immunology and is widely credited with the discovery of the smallpox vaccine. Very few people know one Seamus's name. Having saved Mather's family, one Seamus tried to purchase his freedom from Mather shortly after the smallpox epidemic passed. One Seamus even offered to buy another enslaved person to replace him. Mather refused. Last but not least, number seven, America. And you can stop this if you've heard it before. Stolen Africans were taken to a country stolen from Native Americans and had their labor stolen for them for 400 years, making the country the wealthiest place on earth. Eventually, a war between keep the country together thieves and pro-slavery thieves set the stolen people free. But not really. Instead of stealing labor, the theft country stole our dignity, our history, culture, humanity, and even our lives. And for all this, we were allowed to live in cages on the worst parts of the stolen place. Soon the dignity thieves lost to the dignified thieves, and instead of Jim Crow, 
the thieves created crack cocaine, shipped it into black neighborhoods, made it cheaper than regular cocaine, and created a war on drugs to steal freedom, times, and lies from the crack-addicted communities that didn't have guns, planes, or boats to import cocaine. Over this time, they devised plans to steal votes, music, art, culture, money, neighborhoods, ideals, and blood. There is always blood. Always. And they will tell you this is normal. They will call it nation building or manifest destiny or inspiration or influence or the American way. There you have it, my friends. What I think is the seven biggest cultural thefts in black history. But you know, I've said it before, you can't get mad at people for sucking the life out of you if you keep giving them the straw. We're supposed to learn from our mistakes, is that not right? Well, that music is my cue, my friends, and I must leave you again. But before I go, I will leave you with this message. Don't ever take criticism from people you would never go to for advice. Until next time, it's been Bo's honor.